Good to see you all here. You're nice and warm. It was cold when we arrived this morning. Man, we can have such radical weather here in Orange County. It's crazy. You've got to wear a long sleeve shirt. Hey, I'm excited about this morning, and, and not because of the weather, but because um, this week we're going to talk about the announcement of Jesus. Um, the, the time that like, we, we looked last week at the promise that Jesus would come back in Genesis 3.15, all through the Old Testament, a focus on the fact that Jesus would be born, a Savior would be born. And as time went from that very first promise, it was just the seed of the woman. That's what we knew. And as time goes on, we start to see the specifics. And this week is the week that we look at the passage where we get Jesus' name and, and where it gets specific. Now, one of the challenges with um, these passages that we're going to be looking at this morning, this passage, is that it is so familiar. Have you ever noticed how when you read familiar passages over and over, you can get to the place that you read right past it. You don't really see what's happening. You don't think about what's happening. And one of the amazing things in this passage is in this passage, we see that, that God, is, he is working out his plan in history, it touches people personally. You know, one of the things about the Bible is that it's not just a story. It's not just something made up. These things were real events. They really happened. And as we think about this passage specifically, we're going to see the example of Mary, an amazing lady who set an incredible example for us. And then we're going to see about that announcement and how it points to the person of Christ. What is so tragic is that this passage which is so powerful, and we'll look at some of those things this morning, um, this passage is, can, can be so misused. There are many people who read a passage about the example of Mary and the person of Jesus, and they come away with a focus on the person of Mary. Instead of trusting Jesus, they trust Mary. And so this is a passage that um, there is much confusion, much wandering. We're not going to focus a lot about that, but we're going to focus on what is this passage? What is it saying? What is it that we can enjoy from the announcement about the coming of Jesus? You know, Christmas time really is a time to consider our faith in Christ. That is a personal thing. It's, it's, for us, it is essential that we have a personal relationship with Jesus, not that we hear about him, not that we know about him, but that we know him personally. And one of the things that we find out from Scripture and from this passage is that, is that we know Jesus by faith. And the facts that we know about Jesus come from his word. So this is an amazing and familiar passage. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And we are going to see Gabriel announce to Mary, Mary, this unknown insignificant person in a tiny, unknown, insignificant town. We all know who Mary is, but if we were in that day, she would be just an average teenager. Nobody would think anything of her. Um, she would be certainly insignificant, and we're going to see that, but we're going to see that she is going to find out that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah. What an unbelievable thing to hear and to know. And Mary serves as a powerful example of faith for us to follow. She believes God, and she submits to his will. 
In addition, Gabriel's going to describe her child. And, and this child is the object of our faith. Jesus is the one that we trust for salvation, and not only for salvation, but for daily life. And so we're going to see Mary, an example to follow, and Jesus, the object of our faith. I want to start by just reading this whole passage this morning. And uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time considering Mary and, and what this meant to her in her life. But this passage ultimately is not about Mary. It's ultimately about Jesus. And even Mary's example points to the person of Jesus. Let's read this. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, to, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And, is, and, and this, is now, this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Now, as we think about this passage, I want to tell you just a little bit about the book of Luke. Luke is one of the Gospels. We have three Gospels that kind of explain the, the, the Gospel message, the life of Jesus, and they're synoptic. They cover the same things. And then John is like this book that was added, and, and John is the fourth Gospel, and he kind of fills in some of the details. Now, when it comes to the birth of Jesus, the birth, the physical birth of Jesus is described in Matthew and in Luke. And just a little bit about Luke. Luke was a physician. He was Paul's doctor. He traveled with the Apostle Paul. And, um, and one of the things that Luke did is Luke was not an eyewitness of all these things, but Luke was a historian. And so he did this research, and he actually spoke to people, and he recorded exact accounts of what was written. So, so Luke did research, and he recorded things. He, he did that under the guidance of the Apostle Paul. But even more important, he did this historical record, this historical recording under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's an interesting thing about the Gospel of Luke and, and as it kind of relates to this story. But I don't know if, if you've kind of looked at the life of Jesus. One of the things that you notice is that after Jesus was 12 years old, there is no mention of his dad. 
That is the last time Joseph is mentioned, and we would assume that Joseph, sometime between the time Jesus was 12 and when he started his ministry, that Joseph passed away. But do you want to know who was around all through Jesus' life, who was there at his death, and who Jesus commissioned the apostle John to take care of? It was his mom. It was Mary. And it's very interesting that as, you, as we look at this story, that when Matthew records this account, he focuses on, um, on uh, the experience of Joseph, what the angel said to Joseph. Luke, who very possibly personally interviewed Mary, Luke's gospel emphasizes Mary's experience, how she saw it, what happened with her. It's an amazing compliment, and it just is kind of cool how the Lord uh, works that out. So let's just look again. It says in, in chapter 1, verse 26, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, in the sixth month, that is a reference to Elizabeth's pregnancy. So, so far in Luke, Luke describes his research and his purpose for writing, and then he describes the account of the angel Gabriel announcing the birth of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist also had a miraculous birth, but for him it was miraculous because his parents were so old. Like like Sarah and Abraham, um, Elizabeth was past the years of being able to bear a child. And so that's the miracle that happens there. And and, uh, Elizabeth is in her sixth month when this um, angel appears to Mary. And so uh, as we look, the angel uh, Gabriel, um, Gabriel appears once in the Old Testament when he speaks to Daniel and he talks about the return of Christ. And we'll be looking at that in a couple weeks. Um, But did you know that Gabriel is one of only two angels that are named in the Bible? Um, Gabriel and Michael. And Gabriel just means God's warrior, God's valiant one. And he comes, and, and it emphasizes in this passage that he was sent from God. And as you think about the story of salvation, when you think about salvation, it's so important for us to remember that the whole idea of salvation, it originates from God. Um, Jesus says that he came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I just want you to think about throughout history, that first promise, it was God reaching out and saying, I promise to save a lost mankind. When, When God spoke to Abraham, when he spoke to David, and here where he speaks to Mary, God is the one who originates salvation. It's not us reaching for God. It is God reaching out to us. That's one of the things that I want you to think about right now. If you know the Lord, to be thankful and to remember that you are saved because God reached into your life. If, if you don't know the Lord and you're here today, the thing that you need to know is that God loves you. He cares about you. He's developed this entire plan of salvation, and he is reaching out into your life. And each of us need to think about how we're going to respond to this God who created the world and who sent this Savior. Now, this uh, Nazareth, it's an insignificant town. Uh, in fact, in, in the account, it has to mention that it's in Galilee because if you just said Nazareth, people might not know what it was or where it was. And Mary was an insignificant teenager in an insignificant town, and we're going to find out what an amazing thing that God did. Now, it makes a comment here, and it just says that Mary was a virgin. 
There's been a lot of debate about whether or not uh, Mary was a virgin, whether or not the Bible says she was a virgin. And here's the deal. This Greek word that's used here is unambiguous. Mary was a virgin. And she was betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. Now, here's an interesting thing about Mary and Joseph. One of the things that we know is that it was promised that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. And what's interesting is, again, in Matthew, you get the genealogy of Joseph. But Joseph was Jesus' legal father, not his physical father. It's interesting because the genealogy in Luke is different than the genealogy in Matthew. The genealogy in Luke, it goes backwards. It starts with Jesus and goes down. Um, But the, the interesting thing is that the genealogy is almost the same throughout the entire thing, except when you get to King David. When you get to King David, it's a different branch that is described. And that is because Jesus was legally related to to David through Joseph, but he was physically related to David through Mary. So Jesus meets the qualification of being the Messiah, the foretold Messiah of the house of David, both through Mary and through Joseph. Now, when girls were betrothed, this, this is something that when you read this account and you actually think about it, what is amazing is that Mary is probably 12 or 13 years old. Around 12 years old is when girls would get engaged. The engagement would last about a year, and, and they would live separately, and it was, it was legally binding like a marriage. In fact, to end an engagement was a divorce proceeding. And so she's married to Joseph, and this year was to demonstrate and prove um, faithfulness that, that the, the woman you're going to marry is not pregnant, that she's not going to have a baby from someone else. And so that was one of the things that was demonstrated over that period of a year. And so Mary, when you read this story, we we think of this older, more mature, just faithful, godly woman. But to think about the fact that Mary is a teenager. And and that's going to become amazing as we read some of this. There will be some really powerful things that we'll see here. And so Mary's going to, Luke records these things. And let's look at the affirmation of Mary. And this is an interesting thing because there are so many people that have developed all kinds of crazy doctrines about Mary um, that are found nowhere in Scripture. In fact, they oppose the teaching of Scripture. But let's just look at verse 28. And it says that Gabriel came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. Uh, that, That phrase is talking about God favoring Mary, God bestowing grace upon Mary. There are many people, as they think about the person of Mary, they think, oh, she's full of grace, and and Mary can dispense that grace, and Mary's this wonderful, godly person that gives grace to others. This passage emphasizes that Mary was a spiritually faithful person who received grace. God didn't pick Mary because she had grace. God poured out grace on Mary. It says, oh, greetings, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. And then in verse 29, we see um, Mary's character starting to be displayed. We see her humility. Look what it says. And she was greatly troubled. At what? She was greatly troubled at the saying. 
The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you are favored. And she's like, oh my goodness, what do you mean I'm favored? I'm, I'm so troubled, I'm disturbed, I'm wrestling within myself. What could that mean that I'm favored? Why would I be favored? You see, Mary was an insignificant person in an insignificant town. She was a sinner, born a sinner like every single one of us. She had all kinds of sin problems in her life. We'll see that uh, later. Mary needed a savior. Have you ever heard about the Immaculate Conception? See, many people uh, don't understand the Immaculate Conception, but the Immaculate Conception is talking about Mary. And it's, it's, it's the belief that Mary was born without sin. That is not the case. Mary was born a sinner just like every other person. The Bible says that there is none righteous, not even one. And we'll see later that Mary actually acknowledges her need for a savior. And so um, she has great humility here. She's troubled. She's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I don't know <clears throat> if I was Mary and an angel showed up and started talking to me. I think I might be troubled by a lot of things. And, and the fact that Mary focuses on that is an expression of her humility. Luke 146, <clears throat> uh, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Uh, Mary needed a Savior. Now here's the thing that's kind of interesting. When you, when you think about the description of Gabriel showing up and talking to uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and when you see that, when you see him showing up and talking to Joseph, in both of those other situations, he comments on the character of the people that he's talking to. In fact, <clears throat> when he talks to uh, when he talks to to Elizabeth, he says uh, to Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah when he talk when he's talking about them, he he says that they are righteous and that they are blameless concerning the law. He says, you, you are righteous, you are blameless, you obey, you obey everything in scripture, and God has answered your prayer, and you're going to get pregnant. So there's this, this complement of their character. When, when describing Joseph, Matthew refers to him as a righteous man. In the account of Mary, the only thing expressed is God has poured out his favor on you. There are no comments about her good character in, in the specific way that there were in the other accounts. Here's the message that this um, angel delivers. Yeah, some technical difficulties. It's okay. We're going to fix these. <laughs> well, this is a first. Not, not for technical difficulties. <laughs> All right. Uh, can somebody hand me a Bible from under the, uh, under the chair? We're going to continue. All right. 
Great. Thank you. All right. I'm going to ask for some help. Let's see. Where is a... John, you're here. Come on up. Let's give John a hand. We're going to see if we can restart that thing. All right. Excellent. Okay, now let me find my place in this book the old-fashioned way. Okay, so verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So one of the things that it says here is that, G, that Mary is going to conceive. Now, when you think about the fact that Ver, Mary is a virgin and she's going to conceive, one of the amazing things and that you see in her faith is that this is potentially devastating news from a spiritual perspective to be told that you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. What an incredible thing. And we're going to see that, that Mary is very well aware of what who the Messiah is and how significant what this angel is telling her is. That is from a spiritual perspective. Now imagine that you are a 12 or 13-year-old girl engaged to be married. Now I know that's mind-blowing right there. We don't do that. But it's, it's better because that 12 or 13-year-old girl didn't pick their spouse. The parents did it for them. And uh, parents would always make a better choice at that age. And may maybe at all ages. Uh, girls, I think at all ages. Um, and so can you imagine being 12 or 13 years old, being engaged? This is a period that's designed to demonstrate your virginity, your, your, your spiritual faithfulness, your faithfulness to the person that, you have been, um, that you've been betrothed to. And to have an angel show up and say, you are going to conceive and you're going to give birth. Like, could you imagine how devastating that is? Um, in the Jewish culture, that was significant. It's still significant today. But in the Jewish culture, that was incredibly significant. You remember the woman caught in adultery? And, and, and uh, they were going to stone her. Mary could have been killed for something like this. And so from a human perspective, this is potentially devastating news. Now imagine that you're going to go and try to explain this story to someone. Thank you, John. We'll see if this gets going or if I even bother with trying to get it going again. But imagine that you're trying to describe to your parents, I know I'm pregnant, but actually an angel told me that it's the Holy Spirit that is, has given me pregnancy. I, I didn't do anything. Can you imagine trying to tell that story to your family, trying to tell that story to your friends? And one of the things that we find out is that in, in uh, Joseph's life, as he hears and as he considers this, that's actually one of the things that we discover is that exactly what a person might fear is what happens. And so for Mary, this is an incredible example of faith that she hears this and that she responds the way that she should. All right, we'll try this out. We'll see what happens. But I'm keeping this up here, Mike. I'm sorry, just in case we need to go back to it. <clears throat> All 
Now, as we think about the realities and how this worked its way out with Joseph, uh, Matthew, and uh, um, Debbie, do you mind trying to move the uh, slides forward for me? Okay, Matthew 1.18. So you try to see if you can just figure out how to make that happen. Matthew 1.18, it says this. This is the account. This entire account with Mary in Matthew chapter 1 is is covered in this one verse. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. She was found to be with child. Um, She's pregnant. And all of a sudden, people see that she's pregnant, and she knows she's pregnant, and Joseph finds out that she's pregnant. It had to be a shock for Joseph to think about that. And for Mary, I wonder if she tried to explain to Joseph, no, Joseph, uh, let me tell you what happened. And, and look how it says that Joseph responded. The, the next, the next um, slide here. It takes an angel, look at Matthew 1.19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, being a righteous man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Um, you know, what, what person would accept the kind of explanation that Mary could have given? So think about what Mary's going through as a young teenager. And what's going to be amazing is we're going to look at how, in a moment, how she feels about this. What's going on in her mind as, in a sense, her life is beginning to crumble. And then it says in verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so this is a a challenging thing for Mary, and the angel is going to explain to her how this is going to happen. It says in verse 35, and the angel answered her, and the Holy Spirit says, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this in the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God." You know, this is one of the things that we see about Mary's faith, and and we're going to find out a few things about her faith. The first thing is that her faith is not blind. Mary has her whole life been studying the Scriptures, and we'll see that in a moment. She was deeply immersed in Scripture, and this is just an amazing thing for a 12-year-old. When you hear her describe God, when you hear her describe her response, that only flows from a deep personal relationship with the Lord. She's 12 years old, 13 years old. And so her faith in God is based on history, the whole history of the Old Testament, the way she's read about God responding, and also the way she has seen God work a miracle in her relative's life, in Elizabeth's life. She finds out that Elizabeth is is pregnant. This is impossible. And and the, the angel affirms that and gives her proof. And so Mary's faith is based on God's history of faithfulness. Now here's an interesting thing. Mary questions. 
And she just says, um, her response to these things that the angel says is, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, when you look at the account of Zachariah, when he is speaking, um, when Gabriel is speaking to him, he also says, how can I know this is true? And do you remember what happens in that story? The angel says to Zachariah, you're going to be unable to speak because you questioned, you didn't believe what God said. Now, here's the amazing thing about Zachariah. He has lived his whole life. He is an old man. He is a faithful priest, and he has been praying that they would have a baby. And this angel shows up to announce that God answered his prayer, and his response is to not believe. Now, Mary, she asks a question But for her, it's a question of confusion. I don't understand. How can this be? It is not an expression of unbelief. It's an expression of confusion, an expression of not understanding. And there is a difference. You can have faith even when you don't fully understand. And for Mary, she didn't fully understand, but she knew and she trusted the character of God. Um, Luke 1.45, just later in the passage, It says, and blessed, this is Elizabeth speaking to Mary when she goes to visit, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So we find out in this account that Mary believed. And we we find out how she felt about it. Um, Her faith embraces what God says to her. Even though from an earthly perspective, this could be devastating. Luke 146, it goes on, and it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Um, All generations are going to call Mary blessed, not because she intrinsically um, deserves blessing, but because God amazingly blessed her. She was going to give birth to her own Savior. And and uh, God looked on her humble estate. goes on in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name is holy. And this is where I I want you, if you have your Bibles, flip to verse 50 of Luke chapter 1. This whole interaction, and it's one of the things that we discover in life, it's one of the things that I see in life, is that people who have a great uh, faith response in a moment of devastation, in a moment of difficulty, people who have a great faith response, it's not in a vacuum. It doesn't happen all by itself. It generally comes after a history of growing in spiritual faithfulness. It's one of the things that we want to do with our kids. We want to raise our kids to be kids like Mary was raised. I wonder what her parents did, the way that they invested, the way that they trained her, the way that they taught her, because she responds with amazing faithfulness. She's a teenager, and listen to what she says in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So Mary starts by talking about her personal response, and then she takes a step back, and we're going to see in the next few verses that she personally has a relationship with God. Remember how, how uh, the Pharisees said to, uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you study the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it's these who testify about me. The intention of God's word 
is that as we read it and as we study it, that it would lead to a personal relationship with Christ, that we would get deep, that as we open up the Bible, we don't just do it intellectually, but we read it, we study it, we pray that God would show us himself to us in the things that we're reading. And this obviously is what happened with Mary. As she studied scripture, she understood. She was able to summarize themes throughout the whole Old Testament and to say, this is what God's like. This is what I've seen of God. This is what I know of God. Look what she says. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That's the account of the Old Testament. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary knew about the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, that, he would, that, that God would give Abraham a descendant that would bless the world. Mary knew that. She theologically understood that. Under, she theologically understood that. The promise to David that he would have a son that would reign on his throne. She's a 12-year-old girl, a 13-year-old girl, and she has this understanding of Scripture. This would be a fun thing to do. I put this question in the life groups, is to read these statements that Mary makes, and just think through for yourself. Could you think, think of examples throughout Scripture? You know, hum humbling the mighty. Okay, that could be King, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar when he, stood on his, when he stood on his temple and just said, I'm wonderful. Look at this amazing stuff that I've built. And God humbled him and crushed him. As you think about all these statements, could you think of different places in the Old Testament where you could say, oh yeah, that happened here and it happened here and it happened there. And yes, okay, this, this phrase, we see that happening in these, these places. Do we have a good handle, a good grasp of the history of redemption, of the way that God has worked in people's lives? So she knows about God from, his, from her word. That is what her faith is built on. Let's look at the, the second thing here. We're going to see that Jesus is the object of our faith. Mary's an example. She trusted God. She was willing to submit to God. She was willing to obey God. She had a faith that had a solid foundation of God's word. And here we're going to see the object of our faith. Who do we trust? And it's not Mary. We trust Jesus. Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Did you know that what the name Jesus means? Do you know that Jesus is the, is the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament name Joshua? Do you know what Joshua means? It means Yahweh will save. Jesus' name means Savior. Uh, that's what he's called. That is his name because Jesus' purpose is to save. Jesus Christ, Christ means Messiah, the one foretold in the Old Testament. But the name Jesus means that Jesus is a Savior. Um, John 14, 6, Jesus is our only Savior. John 14, 6 says, Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
no man comes to the Father but through me. The church was founded on this message that only Jesus saves. Acts, uh, John 14, or Acts 4.12, um, the message was this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As far as a mediator, somebody to stand between us and God, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. Nobody stands between you and God except Jesus himself. He's the one that we trust. It goes on, and it says, He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. When you think about the greatness of Jesus, uh, Jesus is the greatest human that ever lived, wiser than Solomon. He is amazingly powerful, more powerful than anyone else, and yet Jesus came to be a humble sacrifice for our sins. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that Jesus was born of a virgin. And there's two really important things that we learn when we consider the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. So when Mary says, hey, how can this be? Um, since I'm a virgin, the angel responds to her, and this is what he says. Look at verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, and this is a key element, the therefore, here's why the virginity of Mary is so significant. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. The reason that Jesus is holy is because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was not only human. Jesus inherited his humanity from Mary, but his deity from God the Father, from, from the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit will come on you, overshadow you, and the, the child that will be born will be holy, the Son of God. Now, for all of us, um, we're all children of God. But nobody is the son of God the way Jesus was the son of God. Another um, significant thing is that unless Jesus was born of a virgin, he was not the Messiah foretold in the Old Testament. Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and, and shall, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, he's not the Messiah. He could not be holy and sinless. He would not be qualified to die for your sins. He would have his own sin. He would not be God in the flesh. Colossians 2.9, in him all the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. Philippians chapter 2, Jesus was God. He existed before and took on humanity. None of that would be true if Jesus was not born of a virgin. And there's something else. If Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then the Old Testament was inaccurate and the New Testament is inaccurate. How could we trust anything the Bible says if we can't trust that? How significant is the, the, the virgin birth of Jesus? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, 
and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Um, Jesus is God in the flesh. He has died for our sins. He's the one that we trust. Over this Christmas season, I want to encourage you, don't miss the significance of Christmas. Don't miss the significance of this season. Think about Mary. I think it's helpful. It's important for us during this time to think about a 12 to 13-year-old girl who was a a sinner, just like you and me. She inherited a fallen sin nature. She lived out that sin nature. But she was a person who had come to put her faith in God. She, she saw herself as a servant of the Lord. Like, and, that, and that's a question I have for us. When you get up in the morning, how, how do you think about yourself? How do you see yourself? Do you say, I am a servant of the Lord. My purpose today is to serve God. That's my existence. It's why I'm here. Whatever God wants for me, that's what I'll do. Mary viewed herself as a servant of God. She was a woman of the word. She didn't just in a moment out of nowhere get a context to understand her circumstances. She had seen God working through scripture, and she was able to apply it in that moment. And Mary submitted. She said, God, whatever your will is, let it be. I mean, is that how we approach our life. Think about Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. He is God himself. Jesus came to save. He was fully human, the son of a human. He was the son of Mary, and he was fully God, um, the, the offspring of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus was conceived by this overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, which made him holy which proved that he was God. It proved he was holy, proved that he was God, and proved that he came to die for you. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this passage. God, as we read this passage and as we consider these things, we just ask that you would help us to follow Mary's example, that we would be people of faith, that, that we would live in a spiritually powerful way. Lord, help us to embrace the person of Jesus And Jesus, we know that you save us, but not only do you save us, but you promise that you will never leave or forsake us. And Lord, in this season, may this season be about you uh, for each of us in your name. Amen.